Sorted Cinema, in the latest in our uh, new series of shorter episodes about movies we just want to talk about in a quick and dirty fashion, we have lined up the 2021 film uh, *Malignant*, directed by James Wan and written by Akila Cooper. Let's hear a clip. I'm having visions. Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No, but I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders as they're happening. Hello? He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. Whatever happened to you before you joined our family hurt you in a way that I can't even imagine. Stop saying that. Maddie, who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? Imaginary friend? He's the devil. Welcome back to Sword of Cinema. I'm Simon. That's Ricky. What's up, Simon? So, so, so excited for this episode. I can't wait to talk about this movie. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was about a month ago we were talking about 2021 films that we uh, hadn't seen yet, we're catching up on, um, we're looking forward to talking about, or we're, you know, in many cases, we just, one of us watched and said, this isn't good enough for the show. And uh, I told you that I'd heard good things about Malignant. I hadn't seen it yet. And you said what's malignant <laughs> which i think says something about i think it says a lot about the kind of year we've had to be fair movie theaters have been shut down in montreal for most of the year they reopened in summertime closed down again in the winter time um so this movie flew over my radar and you also have to remember that i'm a huge fan of james wan but this movie got released on hbo max mm-hmm. which we do not get here in canada so there was honest to god no way of me seen this movie until it got released wide on vod but this movie surprisingly didn't get great reviews and i think it's my favorite film from the director and keep in mind this is the director who directed the first saw film which was a huge deal back in the day i mean that was like an independent film made for very little money made a lot of money made this guy a lot of money put this guy in the spotlight, made him sort of like an A-list director. I mean, he went on to direct Furious 7 and Aquaman. And I think The Conjuring might be his best movie, but this is by far my favorite film from him. And so I was like, dude, we need to talk about this movie because it's getting a lot of unfair, bad criticism for being what it is supposed to be, like what the director set out to make, which is essentially a patchwork quilt of 70s and 80s horror films. 
And it's like, sure, this is how I'm going to sell the movie. Okay. And if this works for you as a listener, then you need to watch this movie right away. It's a modern day sci-fi supernatural Jallo that takes place in the nineties, but features a prison fight straight out of a seventies exploitation film directed by Jack Hill, only with creature feature like effects similar to John Carpenter's the thing. So Dario Argento, Jack Hill, John Carpenter, 90s horror films, Supernatural Jallo, a bit of 70s exploitation. The movie makes no sense, but I love it. I, I really enjoyed Malignant. Uh, I think it, it oh, man, it's especially on a, I mean, it, sometimes we talk about movies that um, you really come to appreciate on a second viewing. And I sort of had the opposite uh, experience with Malignant where I, I think I actually liked it a little less on rewatch just because... Uh, I think it's it's um, because the last act of the film is so good and so over the top and so completely insane and pushes the. I mean, th- there are sequences in in that section of the movie that even I, as a seasoned, um, com- almost totally disillusioned horror fan, had difficulty watching because it, it's so it gets so vividly violent. I mean, yeah, the, really, just that whole twenty-minute section or whatever, which which stretches across multiple—you uh, may as well call them crime scenes. Um, I do think we should talk a little bit uh, before we um, before we get into that. We should unpack a little bit about what this movie is about. Um, so this is uh, after an opening set in 1993. Uh, most of the movie takes place in the present day. So yes, we have cell phones, and yes, we have guns occasionally. Um, and it essentially, it's it's really difficult to describe the plot of the film without getting immediately into spoiler territory. To, to keep things broad for now, the film stars uh, Annabelle Wallace as uh, a, a woman who keeps witnessing uh, real-life murders of other people uh, who she doesn't seem to have any connection to until eventually she does. Uh, the murders are being investigated by a, a pair of, um, well, I guess you, I mean, I, we may as well call them TV cops because that's what they feel like. <laughs> Hey, man, it's like a jallo. The detectives are kind of like silly. Look, I read um, a quote on Twitter, and I thought it was the best thing I've read about this movie. The quote said, Malignant understands psychology the way Fast and Furious movies understand physics. Mm-hmm. The, mo- the plot um, makes no sense. Well, I mean, the plot makes enough sense if you accept that. Uh, and again, we don't have to get into spoiler territory here, but like. If you think, and this really comes out on a rewatch, there's major chunks of this movie that don't really happen. <laughs> it is basically the only way you can make sense of a lot of it because so much of it is from the subjectivity, the you know poisoned subjectivity of the main character, um, which uh, again really becomes clear on rewatch. It's sort of a usual suspect situation, but not as bad. Um, but uh, the, I mean, you were talking about how it's a a patchwork of seventies and eighties films. This is like a, it's a blessing and a curse, I think. Um, like the the curse part is that, uh, and I think you'll I think you'll ha- you'll agree with me on this. It's just it's so it does it is it's a shaggy film. It's got it feels like it it could have used another another round at the editing suite, um, especially the first two acts, in my opinion. Well, that's the thing about the movie. So we're not going to spoil the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. I don't think we need to spoil it. We can we can talk in general terms about the effects and how cool they are and stuff. Okay, really? Because, like, I need to sort of talk about that prison sequence at one point in this podcast. Yeah, but we, we don't need to talk about what hap- happens in the prison okay. sequence. We okay. can just say, yeah, we can talk around it. Yeah, that's what I mean about how, like, 
the movie doesn't really make much sense in a sense like there's a there's it needs an edit in two, in two different ways it needs a script edit or, or, or re, it needs the script to be revised it would have been a better film like i still love this movie but if they just revise a script and fix a few things it would have worked out a little bit better it would have been a better movie and i think also just in the sense of like the actual movie does start a little weak in a sense that the acting's not great the dialogue's not great but it does get better and better. Like it really, like that third act, like the like you said, the last twenty minutes. I would say, like the last thirty minutes of this movie is like incredible. And what I find amazing about this film is the actual big set pieces, like the action set pieces, the the scenes of terror. There was a bit of CGI used in this movie, but a lot of it is actually in camera effects. And the actual villain of the movie, Gabriel he walks backwards, his head is backwards. And so they actually hired these two actors who I think one of them works in a circus. One of them is just like an actor, but they all, they're also like professional contortionists. Mm-hmm. Right. So like James Wan spent hours and days and weeks with these two actors to sort of train them to train their body to be able to walk and move backwards. And so when you see this character walking backwards and the head's backwards and the arms are backwards and their feet are backwards, it's like a person actually doing this in camera. And it is freaking disgusting. It is also awful to look at. Yes, it is awful to look at. It's also (laughs) incredible. It's an amazing feat. Like you got to you got to give these people some sort of like Academy Award for like best non-effect effect effect. (laughs) like or something (laughs) like there's got to be some kind of award we can give these people because like the thing about this movie is i really do think it is the birth of a new horror icon depending on you know i mean i'm assuming they're going to do a sequel but this to me is a horror icon was born in this movie because i do think the villain is so interesting so different, so unique. And what I really like about this movie is this is an original IP. It's not based on a comic book. It's not based on a graphic novel. It's not based on a book. It's not based on a TV show. It's not based on a poem. It's not based on a, a, <laughs> a bunch of tweets like Zola, which is a good movie, but still based on a bunch of tweets. This is an original horror film. And this is what I love about James Wan. Like he is a really great director of the genre of horror. And I'm glad to see him back in his roots, get away from the Aquaman films. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just had a lot of fun with this movie. Um, I also, I mean, yeah, I think fun is sort of the, the defining adjective fun. And, and I, I'm glad you used the word patchwork too, because like from scene to scene, the movie seems to be calling back to different horror films, different genres of horror films, different eras of horror films. Um, some of the movie is very grim and dark and hard to watch, um, especially, to be honest, over the course of the movie, um, the uh, the Annabelle Wallace character, um, uh, Madison, takes so much physical abuse that it does get hard to watch at times, in my opinion. And it also is like a major, it's like a central part of the uh the plot of the film actually like it ends up having a direct connection to Gabriel and like the, so one of the things that's interesting and kind of weird about the movie and I think keeps it compelling to watch is that like it has this mix of stuff that's kind of, that's really campy and really corny and seems to be deliberately corny. Like all the stuff with the, with the, with the sister and the, the, um, the cop Kakoa, which is a great name. 
um, sort of like ha- just a, it's just a, 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 it's a cool touch that he's that he's called Kakoa. But like he and this and the sister have this weird half-assed like flirtatious relationship that never goes anywhere. And like um, and then it and it and it it hits up awkwardly with like these very dark themes of like fertility and abuse and like cycles of violence. And then it'll mash up with this extremely goofy montage of the villain fashioning a weapon like they're like they're in hot fuzz. Like it's <laughs> it's all over the place in like a really enjoyable way. Okay, so first of all, the actual weapon in this movie is amazing. So again, finding a new way to make a killer more interesting by giving the killer a very unique weapon. Now, you talk about uh, the actual cheesiness of the film, how it's very campy. I mean, James Wan has gone on record to say that he was very inspired by Dario Argento. And so when I was watching the movie, at first, I got to be honest, I wasn't really thinking Jallo because going in... Knowing James Wan, I thought, especially with the way the film is marketed, the opening, I thought it was going to be your typical haunted house film. And I'm telling everyone right now, it's not, okay? Like, okay, the opening of this film, it's not at all anything like The Conjuring or Annabelle. Like, it's straight sci-fi horror. It's it, it, it's so bizarre because it, like it, it, it feels like it's lifted from a different film, to be totally honest. But... As I'm watching the movie, I did start to think of Dario Argento. And the funny thing is, the first the first sort of like hint I got that this guy was inspired by Argento was the main actress, her wig, because she's wearing a wig, because you've mm-hmm. seen her in uh in, in, in his in his other films, like Annabelle, for example, she plays Annabelle. And she looks like the main actress from Suspiria, the original Suspiria. Like she has a wig and she dresses and looks like her. And then there, of course, there's like scenes that are similar to Phenomena and Trauma and all these are gentle films. But there's one movie that I have not yet heard anyone compare this movie to. And it, it you can't really compare it in, in, the, in the sense of like, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't sound like it. It's a completely different film. Are you going to say Drag Me to Hell? No, that's a good one, though. No, but the actual like. And again, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but I could not help but think of Frank Hennelotter and yes. the movie Basket Case. Yes, I th- I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I was going to bring up Drag Me to Hell specifically because of its placement in the director's career and like how much fun he has just like going on a lower budget and kind of just whiling out. But I also definitely thought Basket Case uh, specifically because of an, a specific aspect of the premise. Quick correction, though, uh, just because I know some some fucking smart aleck motherfucker at home is is saying this themselves already. Annabelle Wallace was Mia in Annabelle. I think Annabelle was the name of the doll. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. I always get the I always get those characters confused. I've only it seen happened. the movie once. Well, she is quite doll like in appearance, to be honest, and uh, which doesn't help. But, um, you know, we were talking, you, you met, you mentioned sort of offhand that the, the acting in the movie isn't great. I think broadly speaking, that's pretty true, but I do think the, the main thing Wallace has to bring to the, has to, has to do in this role is just to look spooked real good. And she looks spooked real good. No, she's great. I, I don't have a problem with the actors in the film because I, I think the director, got the performance from the actors that he wanted. Like this film is all over the place. It's, it's, it's not a mess. It's, it's, it's the way James Wan wanted to construct the movie. He wanted it to be somewhat campy. And I think that's the thing. I think the reason why people were unfairly critical of the film is because they expected something like the conjuring. 
And I think mm -hmm. that is partly to do with the marketing of the film. So people didn't expect this big, huge scene that takes place in some kind of like laboratory in this big, huge castle in the middle of Seattle, which makes no sense. And that, you know, that <laughs> that cold opening, which is very you can very much describe it as a science fiction horror film because the actual villain is using using electricity to kill everyone around them. I mean, by the way, there's like over 40 if not 50 victims in this film like he kills holy shit everybody. so many people get get their shit fucking wrecked in this movie um it's especially although like 95 percent of them are really in the last 40 minutes yeah but but that opening scene there's like a ton of people that die that's true um there's yeah the, the body count of this movie is is like it's it's like a latter day james bond movie a lot of people die yeah, but all that to say is I really do think that the actors did what they were told to do. Like, I really like George Young in the, in the lead. He plays the detective. First of all, he's a really good-looking dude. He's very charismatic, and he's very well-suited for the role. I can see this guy in a bunch of, like, Jalo films. And the the main actress, like you said, she's fantastic. But who 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 is it that plays her sister? Uh, it's uh, Maddie Hassan, Ma right? Maddie Hassan. Uh, who looks a little bit like a cartoon version of Taylor Swift in this movie. The, the thing I liked about her character is I felt that she was a nice balance to Madison, the main character in this film, because Sydney, her sister, they're, com they're two completely different people. Like Madison is in this abusive relationship. She needs to take control of her life. She lets people walk all over her. She's very scared and paranoid with good reason, right? Uh, she's a lot more quiet. Sydney is, is more bubbly. She's mm -hmm. more in control of her life. She's more of a, I'm going to kick ass and take names kind of girl. She's a lot of fun to hang out with. They're just completely two different people. And I like, I like the balance that the sisters bring to the movie. And again, like, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with the cast. The tone is like, like it's hard. I, I don't want to spoil the film, but like the prison sequence. Okay. Yeah. The prison sequence, like I mentioned Jack Hill. And if you don't know who Jack Hill is, he did a bunch of exploitation films in the 70s. He did a lot of prison films. He did a lot of movies with uh, Pam Greer, for example. And he was a major influence on someone like Quentin Tarantino. So I've read a lot of reviews where people said that James Wan set out to make a Tarantino-like horror film. And I understand what they're trying to say. But what they need to realize is Tarantino had his influences. And I think James Wan is pulling from those influences, not specifically Tarantino, the Dario Argentos, the Frank Kennelauders, the Jack Hills and that prison sequence. OK, I mean, Jack Hill never made a prison sequence like that. I mean, it is bonkers off the wall. It is insane. This movie gets crazier and crazier. And when you get to that that prison sequence, OK, not only is it this incredible action uh, action set piece, which is incredibly violent, has amazing special effects and amazing performance from the main actress but right before you get the pr prison sequence you get the big reveal because there's a lot of twists and turns in this film there's multiple they never twists. stop they just they never, never stop but this is the big one the big one and you are going to flip the fuck out when you find out what is going on and so they give you the reveal and it's like this one two punch of like now let's go to this prison sequence and rip shit up and holy shit man it is incredible. Like I needed to watch the film twice just to watch the last 30 minutes of this film. And the last sequence, well, it's not the last sequence, but towards the end of the film, they have like this great action set piece in the police station. And they use like this RoboCam. And like, you would think that it's maybe like all CGI and everything's done in the computer. And it's not like they actually staged a whole entire like action set piece 
and they used a RoboCam, which circulated the room to capture all of the stuntmen and the action scenes and them performing their stunts. And yeah, you know, they take it into into post-production and they have to use a bit of CGI to actually make the monster look like a monster. But still, again, there's a lot of in-camera effects and it's really, really impressive. Uh, I mean, it's it's an awesome sequence that I really can't... Um... I really can't be, I think you're, I'm, I mean, there's nothing you you've said that I disagree with. Um, I do wish in general, the one thing that I wish he'd taken a cue from Giallo's on that I don't think he does much throughout the movie is I wish there was a little more color um, because the movie is extremely gray and dingy a lot of the time. Um, part of it, of course, is that, you know, it take it literally like takes place in old dusty dingy places and like, you know, a police station hospitals, et cetera. But I could have gone for some more reds. Like I, I could have gone for more like sort of like what with the, the aesthetic, the poster was teasing. Yeah. There's just a bit of it. And I agree. Like, I think of like one of the things I love about Jallo films is the actual aesthetic the, and the color palette and the gels that they use and the lighting. And I could have used a bit more of that, by the way, I, I, the name of the movie for anyone who doesn't know, it refers to a medical term for the type of cancer, which cannot be treated, which leads to a patient dying and so it it ta- it it plays off of the word of cancer and also a tumor, and that is sort of like good to know <laughs> going into the movie. And the thing about this movie is, if you haven't seen it and you're listening to us, there's a lot of foreshadowing, which I did not notice until a second viewing, which is like actually hilarious to watch in a second viewing because it's so thuddingly obvious what's happening it's so (laughs) obvious to the point where it's in camera like he shows you the villain and specific camera shots which clearly shows what is happening like for example a door gets destroyed but then the door is not destroyed like all of these little things and little clues to to be fair you're not going to catch it on a first viewing because the movie is cheating (laughs) the movie is completely cheating about what's happening because you know it is again it's showing you things that didn't literally happen but we we we, i don't want to get into this too much because people will see the movie um the one thing i will say about the the creature design the design of of gabriel um visually i think the design of gabriel is excellent um i wish the voice and and writing for him was a little bit more distinctive i felt like it was kind of generically like i am evil do what i say but other but the actual concept and design a plus top notch you're not you're not you're not even lying like the dude sounds like that i am evil no literally <laughs> literally that's how he talks <laughs> he, he's like a darkwing duck villain it's, it's crazy i know <laughs> um so this movie was released in the movie theaters it was released theatrically but they released this movie on hbo max the very same day they released it in cinemas and they apparently had 750,000 views on VOD opening weekend. And I'm just trying to like do the math here. Like how much money would they have made if those 750,000 people went to the movie theater to go watch the movie? I mean, I, I think even without a pandemic, if if a movie drops on, on, on VOD, that's not 750,000 people who would have gone to a movie theater. That's maybe, you know, a couple hundred thousand people who would have gone to a movie theater. Maybe. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but. Certainly they lost some, they, they definitely lost some money on this thing. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, because I mean, like, like I said, like his previous movies have been very successful and I'm not just talking about Aquaman. I'm talking about like the conjuring Annabelle, the conjuring part two, et cetera, et cetera, saw huge, yeah. huge box office success. Like Hollywood loves this filmmaker because his movies make money. This movie cost 40 million and only gross 34 million. Which is, too, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad, but at the same time, like, I'm not worried about James Wan's career, you know? I love <laughs> like the way he, the movie opens. It's time to cut out the cancer. <laughs> um, I would, I would recommend if you can, if you can do this safely, um, watch this with a bunch of people and especially watch it with at least one or two people who are kind of squeamish and you're going to have a great time. Oh, uh, one last mention that I, one last thing I want to mention is, um, really cool, um, we were talking about how the movie is a patchwork, and I like that the score is also a patchwork. Like the score is all over the place. Uh, you know, there's got it's it's got some of the sort of neo John Carpenter stuff that a lot of horror movies are doing, but it's also got a lot of old school orchestral stuff. Um, it's not too over the top anywhere, or it's just over the top enough in the right places. It's good stuff. Yeah, um, the composer for anyone who wants to know is Brian Ferry. No, no, it's Joseph Bishara. Where'd you get? Where'd you get? Really. Joseph? Yeah, Joe, yeah, that you, yeah, you just named the guy from Roxy Music. Okay, because the thing is, there is a song, we should talk about this, there is a song that plays throughout the film, it's sort of like the main theme to the movie, and it's a, it's a play on the Pixies song, Where Is My Mind? Right, that bothered me! What the hell was that? That's, that's why I thought this dude did the soundtrack, because I thought he was taking a very popular Pixie song, and he sort of like worked his magic and created this this incredible theme song for a horror film. There is. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I was actually, I went to, to listen to the score on Spotify and I couldn't find that song. Maybe I just didn't, uh, I didn't click on the right thing, but yeah, there is a specific piece of the score that shows up every once in a while. And it really does sound a lot like, where is my mind? And I can't tell if it was intentional or not. No. So, so you are not wrong. And I went on Twitter and I tweeted about this, hoping someone would reply and nobody replied. And then I went on YouTube and I was searching for the song and I found the soundtrack, but the song was for whatever reason, not included in the soundtrack that was uploaded to YouTube. And you know how people upload multiple like playlists with the same sort yeah, of yeah. Like music. I could not find the song anywhere, but I'm telling you that, that, that song, it is basically the i mean i'm not a, a music guy here but it's the same sort of like guitar riff and drums i mean it's it it separately stood out to me and we have not talked about this so it's it's definitely there also just really quick it's worth mentioning that the cinematographer although this movie doesn't exactly have the best cinematography and the best lighting there are some standout scenes it's the same guy who did the cinematography for the conjuring for example it's uh michael burgess um so it's got mm -hmm. some really creative like inventive set pieces like the create creativity is on full display here. And that's what I love about this movie and this director. Um, you know, when we do our long form episodes, we usually ask five questions. One of the questions is what is your favorite scene? I am not sure what my favorite scene is, but I will say this. There are five really great scenes in this film. The opening like is just like bonkers. There's a scene that involves an attic, which is hilarious. There is a prison sequence, which I've already spoken about, which is balls to the wall, like just batshit crazy. There is the big, huge reveal, like the twist. And there's also like this really clever, interesting foot chase, which, by the way, apparently actually takes place in some kind of underground tourist attraction in Seattle or something. I've never been to Seattle, but that place, that thing actually mm -hmm. exists, which is so bizarre. 
the 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 fact that the foot chase is happening makes no sense because like we see elsewhere in the movie that Gabriel is perfectly capable of ripping apart 50 cops. <laughs> so it's it's like it's very silly that it's running from anyone, but but the foot chase is cool. It's a good excuse for a foot chase. But, but you got to admit, though, regardless, the, the camera work and the camera compositions and the setup, there are a lot of really clever scenes, like especially how James Wan uses reflections and mirrors and the way he has to specifically set specific characters in like they have to stand and be placed in specific positions with the reason. Um, there's this great, amazing, amazing tracking shot from a bird's eye view. And it happens during the chase in the house. So we see the characters, like it follows the character, Gabriel, chasing the main actress through the house. But it's a bird's eye view. And so it's like this long tracking shot. It, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the, the chase scene is, uh, is great. Lo- logical or illogical, it looks great. It's shot uh, wonderfully. And... Um... Like I said, I, I I thought often of of Drag Me to Hell not because I think it's a similar movie, but because there are just scenes where you get you ha- that sense of play is there, where you you get the sense that here's a guy who has a set of tools he wants to use to make a certain type of movie, and he's just going to use the fuck out of them, um, and he's not and he and he seems to not care too much uh, whether or not the um, whether or not uh, a mainstream audience is necessarily going to go along for every single beat, which I appreciate. That scene that I'm talking about, like the bird's eye view long take, we've seen plenty of long takes in movies in the past where it goes from room to room, you know, so basically there there's no wall, obviously, right? It's just like the way the set's built, it's just the camera pans from one room to the next room. Yeah. So they built the set so there's no ceiling. So you get this bird's eye view and she's being chased throughout the whole entire house from room to room to room to room to room. To room and it never cuts. And I just, I, I just thought it was really clever and just, again, a different way of doing things. And the last thing to say is I love the poster because I'm always talking about like the marketing and oh, you know, movie the posters. Poster is fucking great. And the tagline, a new vision of terror. And also the poster, again, it looks like it was lifted from a Jalo film. It's a bit of Suspiria and it's a bit of uh, Dario Argento's opera. Honestly, if it weren't for the poster, I probably wouldn't have remembered the movie to go dig it out and find it and watch for this podcast. So, hey, the marketing works. Hands down, one of the 10 best horror films of 2021 and maybe the film I had the most fun watching. Um, I hope I get a chance to see it with an audience at some point. I feel like that'd be super fun. Um, But, you know, who knows? Anyway. Uh, that's it for us and Malignant Ricky. Where can people find you and the podcast on the internet? Yeah, so you can find the podcast over at sortedcinema.com. It will redirect you to the main website, and you can find the archive of every single one of our podcast episodes. And um, there you can find the links where you can listen to the podcast, which includes iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, uh, Amazon, whatever. It's everywhere. Uh, sortedcinema.com. You can find me on Twitter at sortedcinema. And we should be doing a lot more of these mini episodes, which I think are a lot of fun, not not as much work, and usually they last about 20 minutes, 30 minutes top. So look out for more mini episodes in the future. <laughs> easier for them, easier on you. Better for everyone. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back when we're back.
Where